Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we get a chance to share the love of Jesus through music, art, and biblical teaching, and we're so glad that you're here to be a part of it. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and uh, we're going to talk about something as we continue our um, series that we're calling Jesus Training. And uh, we're going to talk about something that might be a little difficult for us to listen to. Um, Jesus training, just so I can set this up if you haven't been here the last few weeks, is just a language that we're using to consider ourselves um, not just Christians. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the word Christian. I'm a Christian. I have no problem saying that. But I like the idea of using the the phrase, um, I'm a, a disciple or I'm an apprentice of Jesus. Uh, um, disciple could be translated as apprentice. And as an apprentice of Jesus, it feels much more like something I do than just something I am. Is that making sense? So I don't mind the term, I'm a Christian, but I also like to consider myself an apprentice of Jesus. And to be an apprentice of Jesus, it just means that we need to train ourselves or to understand what our teacher, Jesus, would be telling us. So we've been spending these last many weeks looking at the spiritual practices of Jesus, the habits, the, the lifestyle, the life choices, the things that Jesus said, and all the things that Jesus did in hopes that we can sort of learn from him and apply, the, and apply those things to our lives for change. And here's why we want change, because we're people who believe the Bible is true. The Bible says this about our lives. If we have faith in Jesus, right, by grace, faith in Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he died for us on the cross, that God raised him from the dead on the third day, and, and through faith in all of that, the Bible tells us that we are new creations. And if we're new creations, then we're no longer living the old life, right? Yay, we're leaving that behind Hear me, yay, we're leaving that behind and moving into the newness of life. And this whole sort of series has been based upon this quote from a, an American philosopher um, and lay theologian, author, speaker named Dallas Willard. And he had this to say about this new life, this new creation. He said, authentic transformation really is possible for us if we are willing to arrange our lives around those practices that Jesus engaged in to receive life and power from the Father. So the things that Jesus did to receive life and power from God, then we will put those practices into our lives and we too should have life and power for um, living as well. Now, so I mentioned the thing we're going to talk about today is going to be challenging and it's this thing called the Sabbath. Has anyone heard of the Sabbath? Okay, we'll, we'll talk about what it is, what it means it, in a little bit later. But just know this, we have an uphill battle in front of us for two reasons. Number one, the life that God is calling us to live is already countercultural. God wants us to live and look and sound and think and react differently than the world around us. Would you agree with that? Yes, we believe that. There's a whole world out there who thinks this way about this topic or that way about that topic. But we as Christians, as our mind is being transformed by God, we think different. We act different. And there's not an, hear me, there's not an aspect of our life that isn't impacted by the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, and all of that stuff. Hear me. It's everything for us. It's our business ethics. It's our family dynamics. It's our sexuality. It's our everything is affected. And we are called to be countercultural. 
The Sabbath, just so you know, is what we call a day of rest. And, and our culture is not known for doing days of rest, right? We just work, 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 work. So we have to live a countercultural way if we're going to be observant or to practice the Sabbath, okay, like Jesus did. And the second reason this is going to be very hard for us, and maybe just more hard for me than it is for you, is because I don't do it. And it's hard for me to stand up here in a position of authority and teaching and say, y'all need to do this when I don't do it. So let me just start with that. I confess that to you. I don't keep the Sabbath. Um, the other commands a little bit easier. When it says don't commit adultery, check. I mean, that's, have you seen my wife? She's hot. I don't have to. <laughs> Why would I, as I'm saying, my point, right? No, don't murder all the other things. I don't, I'm fine with those, but the command to keep the Sabbath, is a real struggle for me. And I, and I wonder if maybe if you're honest as well, you, you would agree that you don't rest well either, that you seem to keep yourself pretty busy as well, that you don't seem to observe the Sabbath and find the delight and the benefits from it like God intended it for us. So that being said, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just admit that? Why don't we just confess that right from the beginning? I'm not going to ask you to do anything. We're going to pray in a minute. You're like, what's happening? But <laughs> we're just going to, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to confess to the Lord. We don't do this well, Lord, right? And, and even though we don't do it, it doesn't mean that we can't still stand underneath the authority of scripture and God's power through his Holy Spirit to help us, to shape us, to change us. As Dallas Willard says, to be transformed, Right? So would you bow your heads with me as we go before the Lord in prayer? God, thank you for the opportunity to sit underneath the authority of your scripture. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would come and take the truths in the scripture as we look to the life of Jesus and help us see where those things need to be applied to our lives. You love us, Lord, even more than we love ourselves someday. So God, we come before you asking for help. We confess this to you. We struggle with this area of our lives. We're a people who don't know how to be silent, who don't know how to be still and rest in you. So Lord, would you help us today? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Amen. So I mentioned already that Sabbath is a day of rest. Um, Every week. I mean, I should add that part. Not once a month, not maybe when you get the project done or when the, when the, the big thing is over, you, then you rest. No, it's, it's a day of rest every week. That's the idea. And the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which translates to this, to stop. That's all it means, to cease, to stop. And for us to observe the Sabbath means we have to stop. We have to stop working. We have to stop wanting. We have to stop worrying about things. Hear me, there are other days that we can work. There are other days where we can want and desire and plan and procure and do all those things in our life. There might even be other days to worry, although I think Jesus has some things to say about that. That's for another day. But there are other days to do all of that. But once a week, the Lord would intend for all of his followers to stop, to cease, uh, to cease and to rest. And it's something that Jesus himself did as well. Jesus, as an observant Jew, kept the Sabbath. But he did, it, he did it in a way that the religious leaders would oftentimes get frustrated with him. 
Uh, let me tell you a little story. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, not only were they observant of the Sabbath, which just says stop and don't do any more work, but they made all of these rules and regulations and other commandments, if you will, to obey as well for fear of working. So the command would say don't work. And so they would say things like this. Well, if we're not going to work, then that means we can't walk over two miles. And if it says we're not going to work, then we can't flip light switches on or off. And if you go to Israel today, and if you're there on the Sabbath, many of the, of the observant, observant um, hotels, et cetera, um, their elevators, you, you don't push the buttons on the elevators on the Sabbath. They pre-program them to stop at every floor because it's, a, it's illegal. You would be breaking the Sabbath to push the, be, the button on the elevator. Now, just nod at me if you think that's a bit over the top. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Yes, I agree. Now, and I'm not, they didn't have elevators back in Jesus' day, but they had all kinds of other things that they weren't supposed to do. And so one day, picture this, Jesus is strolling through the cornfields, right, with his disciples, with his apprentices, right? And on the Sabbath day, some of his disciples begin to grab some corn cobs or whatever, some ears of corn off the corn, and they begin to eat it. And the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they grab their flag and they go foul. They throw the flag up and says, you can't do that. You're working. You're working. You can't pick corn. You can't uh, reap grain or harvest grain on the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus, um, I say lovingly, I'm sure it was lovingly, but it sounded more harshly as a rebuke. He speaks to the religious leaders and says this in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He says the Sabbath was made by God for us, not the other way around. Jesus is saying this. The Sabbath has been made to give us benefits, to give us something from God, to delight in him, to rest in him, to know that he's in control of everything, not the other way around. We don't observe the Sabbath to, um, to earn something from God, which is what they were doing. They were observing all the laws and all the little stipulations around the Sabbath to be more pious, more holy, more righteous than everyone else. And so when Jesus appeared to break the Sabbath, they called him on it. And Jesus says, y'all are wrong about this. The Sabbath was made for us. The Sabbath is intended to bring benefits into our lives. So let's look at how the Sabbath was originally made. Us. And to do that, we'll, I'll turn to my Bible. You can just watch the words on the screen here. But we're going to turn into the book of beginnings or the book of Genesis, right? The very beginning of the Bible. It tells the creation story of how everything was created by God and for God, right? This is that story. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? He speaks, let there be light and there is light. And God creates everything, the earth, the oceans, the mountains, the sky, the birds, the fish, the hippopotamus, the everything. He creates everything, right? And it says in this creation account in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, we read this. And on the seventh day, so God creates for six days, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. God is showing us in the retelling of this creation account that God intends for us to have a six-day work week. Work for six, rest for one. Work for six, rest for one. And it's been that way for a long time. Have you ever ever wondered why there are seven days in our week? Ding, ding. This is it. (laughs) This is it. But it's not always been the case. If you remember from your history class, 
um, in high school in the 18th century, in the French during the French Revolution, the monarchy thought it'd be a good idea to change the seven-day work week to a 10-day work week, right? And so they made all of the workers, the laborers, work for nine days straight and then give them a day off. Nine days straight and then a day off. And you can imagine what happened, right? The economy crashed. Suicide rates skyrocketed. Production plummeted. It's as if the Bible is not only telling us something is true about this six days of work and one day of rest. It's like our bodies are telling us something as well. Hear me. Study after study after study after study has confirmed for us that there is a, an amount of hours of work that a person can put in per week after which all of your productivity decreases and it's not worth the input to get the output, if you know what I'm saying. And you want to know what the magic number of hours of, week, of work a week it is? It's 50. It's 50. Let me help you with math. If you do six eight-hour days, what's that? 48, right? That's about a six-day work week. God is just telling us in the, the rhythm of living that he has created for us, he worked six days, rested one, and he intends his creation to do the same. And so we keep reading from chapter 2 into verse 3 now. And it says, And so God then blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of the work that he had done in his creation. God blesses the seventh day and makes it holy. There are three things that God blessed in the creation story. Three. I read them all. <laughs> he, he created the animal kingdom. He blessed it. I can't remember which day it is, so forgive me. Maybe multiple days. But he creates the animal kingdom. He blesses it and says, be fruitful and multiply. He creates humanity, Adam and Eve, if you know that story. He blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply, which sounds like a lot of fun, just so you know. And then he also, if you're married, and then there's also, I got to throw that in there. I forget. I forget the crowd we gather Ready? Okay. So, and then he blesses this, a day. Now, I want you to infer with me. I'm going to step over here. This is an idea. It's not a really original idea to me, but this is something I've come to understand. God is almost saying to us, the Sabbath, much like the animal kingdom and much like humanity, has this ability to procreate and to bring more life into the world that God intends it to, be, to bring. So, just like animals can bring more life, just like humans can bring more life, through the Sabbath, we can also bring more life. Now that, for me, is very hopeful. Because if you're like me, I oftentimes wonder if I'm not living beneath the life that God wants for me. And then I step back and I look at all the things that I, I'm doing in my life, and then I, I admit to you already, I don't keep the Sabbath. So doesn't it make sense to me that I'm not receiving maybe the life that God really has for me? And not only does he bless that day, he makes it holy. Look at this. He, he makes the day holy on the seventh day because God rested from all the work that he has done. This, this holiness aspect points to this reality. We oftentimes consider gods to be in holy places. Like you've got to go to the holy shrine or up the holy mountain or go to the holy temple. But our God, hear me, our God, our creator is not that way. Our God is not at a physical place. Our God is in a time, is in a, in a space of time. If you, want to, if you want to encounter the Lord, hear me when I say this. We no longer need to pilgrimage to some Mecca 
to some temple, to some holy place, to Stonehenge or whatever. We don't, we don't need to, to pilgrimage anywhere. We need to stop and rest and, hear me, and find God in that place. Is that hopeful? Can you imagine if you were a part of a religion that, that mandated you to, to make a pilgrimage to some place so that you could encounter the Lord? We don't have to do that. We can encounter the Lord simply by enjoying the weekend that he created for us. We serve a God who created the weekend. That should give, give us shouts. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yes. Thank you, God, for that. And if we fight against this idea of the Sabbath, I want you to hear this. We are fighting against God himself. You're standing in opposition to what God has for you. There's that passage in the New Testament where it says God resists the proud. And I remember reading that um, when I was a young Christian. And I, I prayed, Lord, never allow me to be proud. And so he gave me a weak bladder. <laughs> he gave me profuse sweat glands. I am not proud about anything. I'll tell you right now. I'm an embarrassment. I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> but anyways, um, I don't want to be in opposition to what God wants to do in my life. Anyone else? Yes. So that's what we're learning. God has great things for us. He, he allows us to have a space. And then I wonder what would happen to us if we don't obey the Sabbath. And I don't think we have to look very far to know what happens to us if we don't observe the Sabbath. We burn out. We get tired. Our, our mental acuity dissipates. We become lethargic in our thinking. If you're a creative person, you stop being creative. I'm a creative person. I cannot create right now. I become restless, distracted constantly. My life is upside down because of this issue in my life. This is a hard season, and I'm learning this. And if we continue to live that way, over time we get sick, right? We get a cold, but we're, we're adults. We go to church, we, or church, we go to work when we still have a cold, right? You just suffer through, and you kind of bounce back a little bit. Then a week goes by, and you get sick again. And this time you're at home on the couch, surrounded by tissues and pill bottles, right, alone, because you're, you're crashed out. And why is this? Because you finally have to stop. John Mark Comer said this about the Sabbath. He says, Sabbath is coming for you. And it will either be delight or discipline. Do you hear that? Now, I don't know about you. I'd rather be a person who delights in the Sabbath and rather, be rather than being surrounded by tissues and pill bottles and all that stuff, I'd rather be surrounded by friends and family and ice cream and movies and just relaxing stuff, yes? So we have to understand that God made this for us. It is his desire that we work and rest and work and rest. We're not made to work and work and work. He, in fact, um, is so committed to this idea, God commands us to keep the Sabbath. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. To me, it's like saying God commands us to eat ice cream or take naps. It just doesn't make sense to me. Of course he would command us to do this. Now, I want to read in the Bible, and this will be, take a few minutes. There are two places where we see the command to Sabbath in the Old Testament. 
The first one is in the book of Exodus. And I'll turn there. You can follow along on the screen. I'll set the stage like this. This is uh, the nation of Israel. God's people have just been liberated out of Egypt. If you know this story, they're going with Moses into the promised land. So God's taking his people into the promised land that he'd promised their forefathers. And on their way there, they stop at this mountain called Sinai. And Moses goes up the mountain to commune with God for a while. And God's about to make Israel a holy nation, which just means a nation set apart from all the other nations on the earth. You will be my people, he says, and I will be your God. And here's the contract, and it's the Ten Commandments, basically. And Moses brings down the commandments of God, and he gives them to his people. Now, of the Ten Commandments, one of them has more words to describe what it is, how it should be done, and the benefits from it. Can you imagine which one that is? It's the Sabbath. He explains for us in the giving of the commandments why Sabbath is so important. Look here, Exodus 20, verse 8. God says to his people, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day it should be a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock check that. You can't even work your animals on the Sabbath. They need a rest too. God is amazing. Amen. He says, or the sojourner who is in your gates, everyone takes a break. Six days you work, but the seventh day you stop. And then he says this, and this is where it gets tricky for us. The seventh day is supposed to be a Sabbath to the Lord. We see that in verse 10. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's not only a day of rest, and we need a day of rest, but it should also be a day of worship. It should be a day of delight and dedication to God. And so when you and I are going to consider, what does this look like for our lives? We're going to pull back, right? We're going to try to rest with God. We're going to take a Sabbath. Maybe it's a half a day. We're going to start easy. We have to look at this through two grids. Number one, is this restful for me? After going to do the thing that you want to do on Saturday, ask yourself, will this be rest for me? And if the answer is yes, then ask the second question. Is this worship to God? So for me, if I get up on a Saturday and I want to rake out my flower beds because they're filled with leaves, right? Would that be rest for me? For me, it would be rest. It'd be work for my wife, which is why I do it alone most weekends. I'm just saying, right? For me, it's rest because I'm out there. I move slow. I don't break a sweat. I move slow and I commune with God and I consider it. Would it be worship for me? Yes. My wife, for example, let's, wants to say something. Let's do something fun. Like let's go into that treasure trove of put together furniture called Ikea. Let's go do that. <laughs> let's ask ourselves a question. Is that rest? No, the opposite of rest. Is it worship? Satan, maybe. It's not <laughs> God would never make you put together all those pieces. (laughs) That is from the devil. I promise you, Ikea is Hebrew for Satan. (laughs) That's not true. I made that up. That's not true. I made that up. I don't want you thinking I'm lying up here. But is it rest? Is it worship? Ask yourself, sitting on the couch and resting, is that rest? Is, Is taking a nap worship? I think so. I tell myself that every week. <laughs> yes, it is worship. I'll be in my office worshiping if you need me. <laughs> but then here at verse 11, it's not only does he explain kind of what he wants, but he explains why. 
Now hear me, this is the only commandment where we get the reason behind it. It doesn't say, don't commit murder and here's why. Don't commit adultery and here's why. It just says, don't do those things. But when it comes to the Sabbath, it's as if God's people need a reason to understand it. So he gives it, verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all of that, that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. He gives a reason for this. He wants us to understand that the life that we've been called to live into has a rhythm to it. And we're invited to live to that rhythm. And anything outside of that is not living to way God, the way God intends us to live. So not only is the Sabbath um, keeping, observing, um, rest and worship and delight and worship and all that, but it's also a form of resistance. And I'll get to this now here. If you turn to uh, the next section here, which is Deuteronomy chapter 5, um, we hear the, the Sabbath command given again. And let me set the stage on this one for you. So now, 40 years has passed since Israel was at the base of that mountain called Sinai. They didn't make it into the promised land for reasons we don't have time to go into right now. Just know this, they wandered in the desert for 40 years, which means this, there's a whole new generation of people that are part of God's people that were not there when they heard the commandments given the first time. So now the nation of Israel has made their way to the precipice of the promised land, standing on the banks of the Jordan River, just waiting to cross into the promises of God. And Moses takes a moment to give a refresher course, if you will, on the Ten Commandments, giving them again for that new generation. And so let's read the second time Moses gives this command to Sabbath. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest with you as well. Now, that sounds very similar to the first time he gave the commandment. Would you agree? A couple words are changed, right? But it sounds about the same. This is where it changes. See, in Deuteronomy, Moses gives another reason as to why God's people should obey the Sabbath, why God is commanding them to keep the Sabbath, and it's given right here, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Now, Moses gives both tellings of the commandments. The first time, he ties the reasons behind it to the creation account. Well, this is how God created stuff. Work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. But this time, he says a different reason. He says, you, you observe the Sabbath because you used to be a slave. Now, why is this important? This is the generation that Moses would be talking to that is the first generation in hundreds and hundreds of years that have ever been free from the oppression that was in Egypt. So if you don't know the story, God's people for hundreds of years, 400 years or better, they were held slaves in Egypt under a wicked king called Pharaoh who abused them, maligned them, mistreated them, shackled them, overworked them. Ask me this, did the slaves ever get a day off in Egypt? No. And when Moses gives them the command to remember the Sabbath, he goes, remember 
You people used to be slaves one day. And you were shackled. And you were abused. You were oppressed by something so great you couldn't even free yourself. And you cried out to God and God helped you. Hear what Moses isn't saying. He isn't saying, with your great fortitude and strength, you rose together as a mighty nation, broke your own chains, and liberated yourself into freedom. That's not what he's saying. What happens is you were so helpless, so stuck, so caught by Egypt, and you cried out to the Lord, and God came, and he helped you, and he used his mighty and outstretched arm to do so. And when you observe the Sabbath, you're reminding yourself that God rescues people. Hear me when I say this. There is a, a crueler taskmaster than Pharaoh in the world. And it's this thing we call sin. It's this thing that has ravaged humanity since the dawn of creation. When Adam and Eve first sinned against God, they have been enslaved to this thing called sin. And no amount of trying harder, of breaking loose our own chains from sin is ever going to work. Only until we cry out to God, ask him to help us, does he come. And he sends not Moses, but his son Jesus, the greater Moses, who breaks the shackles of sin and death and the grave off of us and leads us into something that is promised for us, an abundant life and eternal life forever and ever and ever. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, people of the jury, listen. When God's asking us, commanding us to observe the Sabbath, he's reminding us that we cannot save ourselves. Our unwillingness to rest in him proves that we sometimes don't believe it to be true. I know Jesus saves me. I know the stories. I teach it to my children, we say. And yet we earn and earn and earn and we strive to gain things from God. If I pray enough, then he'll have to answer me, right? If I go to church three times this month instead of twice, welcome back, by the way. If I go to church more, then God will see that and he'll, he'll have to honor me, won't he? If I, if I witness at lunch at work with that crazy guy, you know what I mean, that crazy guy you work with that just drives you insane? Can you think of one? If you can't think of one, it's you. I'm just telling you. <laughs> You're the guy. But you, you witness to the guy and, and you're like, surely God's paying attention now. Surely God's going to do something for me now. No, no. You're not earning something from God. You're not earning things. He, he gives them to us. He gives salvation to us. He gives overcoming of sin to us. You don't need to white knuckle your way through all this stuff. All we need to do as Dallas Willard has already told us is to align our lives and bring the practices of Jesus into our lives and allow the Holy Spirit, whose responsibility it is to change us, by the way. It's never been your responsibility, so knock it off. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us, to make us new. And yet we stand in a culture that doesn't allow people the time of rest, doesn't give us time to delight. Or if it gives it to us, we don't want to take it. We want to busy ourselves all the time. My wife loves me more than all of you. 
And she asked me this this last week. Jeff, why do you feel compelled to go to church to work every day? She's not saying Monday through Friday. Hear me. Every, I work every day. I was here yesterday for four hours. I've been here since 4 a.m. this morning. I will be back here tomorrow at 8.30. I work every day. When I left yesterday, a, a friend of ours from church passed me and waved at me, and I felt like I'd been caught. Oh, no, they saw me at work again. And my wife, who loves me more than you, says this, Jeff, why do you feel compelled to work every day? And I want to work. I'm the pastor of the church. If I'm not here working, no one's here working. We've got to be doing the work, and there's things to do, there's, right? And, and it's like the, 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 <laughs> the Lord just nudges me. He's like, really? With your outstretched arm and your mighty hand, <laughs> you're going to do all the work that's necessary for all the people here? Why don't you let me do that? See, sometimes our unwillingness to stop is because we actually don't believe the things we say about God. He's my provider. God will provide. Well, then why'd you go hustle for that second job? Why'd you put in those extra hours? Why'd you do all this stuff? Why'd you not see your kids this past week? Because you're, right? Sometimes we're afraid of the quiet. Sometimes we're afraid of the rest. Sometimes we don't know how to delight in the things that God has given us. And I know that. I understand that. My, my desire today, and I'm ending right now just so you know. I'm kind of coming down. My desire today was not to give any application. I don't, I don't want to apply this to your life. I don't want to give you parameters and rules. Why don't you try this this week? And I know we've done that in the past, and I don't mind those things, but this week I can't. Because I think the Lord wants to address all of this stuff with all of you individually. What does he say to you about resting? What does he say to you about taking a Sabbath, about not working, about not earning, about not wanting and worrying? What if you just settled in the reality that God is in control of all of it? Today we're going to take communion, which I think is so fitting. If you don't know what communion is, it just means this. We're going to serve you a, a, a cracker and a little cup of juice. And for us, the cracker and the juice is symbolic of Jesus' body and his shed blood for us. And just like God is asking us to remember the Sabbath, Jesus asked us to remember his sacrifice for us with his disciples in that Last Supper moment when he says, you know, he takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, gives it to his disciples. And he says, this is a picture of my body that's going to be broken for you. They didn't understand at the time what that meant, but we do. Jesus went to a cross. He was abused, brutalized by Roman soldiers, trained executioners. He laid down his life to be beaten. He laid his, his body down to be broken for us. And they nailed him to a cross where he died for us. And in some miraculous, magical, mysterious way, God put the punishment for sin, for your sin and my sin, all of humanity's sin, upon his only son, Jesus. And Jesus breathed his last and died. Of course, he's buried in a grave, raised from the dead. Hallelujah. But the, the, the cracker is a picture of what God has done to Jesus' son. 
his only son, he, he was broken for us. And the juice is symbolic of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. In the Old Testament, it, it always said this, that no sin could be atoned for without the shedding of blood. There could be no remission for sin without the shedding of blood. And no longer do we have to stand before a just and holy God, broken and sinful people. We stand before God in Jesus Christ, who died for us, who shed his blood for us, that we might be washed clean. said, do this in remembrance of me. So we're remembering today what God has done through his son, Jesus. We're remembering today that he has commanded us to live in the life cycle that he wants for us. Work, 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 rest, delight, remember how strong he is and how weak you are. Remember. So when I pray the the servers are going to come forward and grab these trays. They're going to push it down your aisle, and you're welcome to grab a cracker and a cup of juice and just hold on to it. And as the band returns and plays us another song or so, you can take that cracker and remember Jesus' body broken and crush it in your mouth. And you can take that juice and remember his shed blood and drink it down. And then just join us as we go into worship and continue to love on Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day and for everything that you've done. We've had a wonderful time remembering the reason of the Sabbath, the purpose behind it, your heart for us in all of it, God. We thank you for that. And now we want to take this time to remember Jesus' broken body and shed blood. And we don't want to hurry through this, Lord God. We want to know that you still love us and care for us. God, you are so good. God, we surrender our, our lives here. Many people in the room have, I think they feel that. I think there just has to be a re-surrender. Like, Lord, I've tried it my own way, and, and I'm so thankful that the, the Bible told me a new way today, that the Holy Spirit is leading me to a new way. And so, Lord, I want to go a new way. And, Lord, as I take communion today, just make my life new again. And that's what we do. And so, God, we just ask those prayers to be answered today. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. And I want to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God, which might be getting involved with a group of other believers. If you'd like to be a part of what's going on here at Renaissance, then please connect with us on social media or online at renaissancedecatur.org.